soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. We pick it up in verse 36. Now, as they, the apostles, said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of boiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. So this is the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke, which really is the first of a two-volume set, as Luke, the great physician, the traveling companion of Paul the Apostle at a later time, as he put together all the information and was led by the Holy Spirit to record for us the Gospel of Luke. He also recorded for us the book of Acts. So it's generally considered a two-volume set, the life and ministry of Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, it's the delegation of the kingdom to the church of Jesus Christ, the birth of the church in Acts 1 and 2, and then the expansion of the church from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth through the rest of the the book of Acts, through 28 chapters. And of course, the legacy of the book of Acts is us, who are here tonight as the Church of Jesus Christ in Orange County on March 30, 2019. We're the extension. We are truly Acts 29. For what we are here tonight as the church, a local church, we are the extension of these men that watched Jesus ascend into heaven, who were in power with the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, who birthed the church, led the church, laid down their lives for the witness of the gospel, and entrusted the stewardship of the kingdom and the truth to previous generations, and it has come to us even this day as we can say safely that this is our time and this is our generation. Like those that came before us, great women and men of God, now we have our chance for greatness, and then we'll be gone, and we'll be entrusting it to the kids in the children's ministry and the youth group and grandkids and future generations if the Lord tarries. But his tearing is up to him because he promised he would come. In fact, in the book of Acts, which continues the narrative from this text, 
the very first thing they said to him is, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? And he said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons which belong to my father, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so again, we are the extension of that. As we conclude the gospel of Luke tonight, we see Jesus risen as the risen Savior. And we're in the approaching April, where we'll be celebrating Easter as well. And we can never talk too much about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we talked about last week as well. So as we begin this text and we put together all the text that's concluding this epic journey in this gospel of Luke, we have Jesus, the risen Savior, speaking to the apostles, demonstrating things to the apostles and doing things with the apostles to strengthen their faith and affirm to them that there would never be any doubt that he is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, that he had to do what he did in living a perfect sinless life, in fulfillment of the law of God in the Old Testament, in fulfillment of the prophecies of the prophecies, excuse me, in fulfillment of the prophecies of the prophets, and in fulfillment of the promises in the Psalms as well, which he alludes to when he says all things had to be fulfilled that were written of me. So it's Jesus eating food with them, also making very clear that it's a complete physical resurrection. They're not seeing a ghost. They're not seeing a, a, a spirit. They're seeing Jesus in his glorified body, which bear in mind that Peter, James, and John, when they saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Jesus in glory. We don't know if it's the same glory, but they saw him glorified with Moses and Elijah and the Father speaking. So those three have had a prelude or a warm-up to this event, seeing Jesus now in this glory. But we know when we think about Jesus' resurrected body that he was recognizable for he bore the wounds of the cross. We know that when they broke bread with him last week, they recognized him, but then he vanished from their appearance. We know in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told about the resurrected body that we will receive, that we have an earthly body, but through faith in Christ, we will have a celestial body. We have a terrestrial and celestial. We have a currently a corrupt body, but through faith in Christ, we are promised an incorruptible body. We have a mortal body presently, but we're promised through faith in Jesus Christ and an immortal. This mortal must put on immortality as we're declared. In fact, that triumph of 1 Corinthians 15 is quoting the Old Testament where we actually can taunt the grave and say, where is your bite and where is your sting? Through our faith in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done in his resurrection, that he has promised us the resurrection. He's the first fruit of resurrections and we are risen with him. And to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And we know at the end of the age, that when he comes in his glory to establish his kingdom, that we come in glorified bodies with him. How that all plays out in the details is his business. Our obeying his word and fulfilling his calling in our life this day is our business. Okay? So let God do what God does, raise the dead, and let us do what's entrusted to the church. Be bold, be loving, be gracious, and be courageous in the power of the Holy Spirit in our day. So, As I look at this, you see Jesus in all of his glory in the resurrected body revealed for us on the historical record by the Holy Spirit. We also see Jesus imparting the great commission to the church that the preaching of sin and salvation through faith in Jesus to find forgiveness of sins must take place and is entrusted to the church. Then we also see him telling them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the power to fulfill their ministry, to be endued with the power on high, 
which is clarified for us in the Gospel of John and the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit, the third person of God's triune nature, coming in them and upon them to live the victorious life. So these are the three elements of this final segment of scripture of Luke 24. And of course, Jesus ascended into heaven. And bear in mind what Jesus ascended into heaven before we move on to our application. Jesus ascending into heaven is literally with us in this dimension. He was with them in this dimension like we are in this room. But when he ascended into heaven, as I mentioned recently on even Tuesday night service, that when Jesus went up into heaven, he is going to go up and he transcends dimensions. There is the eternal dimension. And Jesus goes up and it's like a curtain opens up and closes like a portal or something of that sort. He's transcending dimensions. And so it's not like he just keeps going up in the clouds like a fairy tale or some Greek mythology. Peter said very clearly, we've not followed cunningly devised fables by evil men, but we have followed the Lord. And he said, we are eyewitnesses of his glory when he wrote his second epistle. Jesus Christ went up. Jesus Christ lived the perfect sin of this life. He died on the cross for our sins in our place and imputes or reckons our account, his righteousness, while forgiving us of our sins. It's the two for one. He was buried in the grave for three days, did not undergo corruption. He rose again on the third day, appeared to over 500 during that 40-day period, and he ascended into heaven in front of the apostles there on the mount and is seated at the right hand of Father in glory until he returns again. And the testimony of church history from eyewitnesses of many believers up into eternity as as the Lord has come for his believers as people say they see Jesus. And I share quite often the story of Heather um, not Heather Bonham, but uh, Melissa Henning Camp, Jeremy Camp's first wife, how I was in the room when the Lord came for her and she got out of her deathbed and told her husband she was healed. But I was thinking of Heather Bonham the other day and her testimony, and some of you would remember her from Calvary. She was, I believe, a second grader. I believe it was second grade. And she died on the campus. She passed on the campus there at Calvary Chapel Schools. And I'll never forget that day because I was at the Logos building with Scott Cunningham. And suddenly we got a call, hey, a child has collapsed. We need pastors. And we ran from the Logos building as fast as we could, the two of us. And we came upon the scene at the bathroom there in the MCA area of the facility, more toward the lower classes, if you know what I'm talking about. And we come there and there's CPR, there's first responders, and they're trying to revive this girl. And she passed. And she had a history of a weak heart. But the amazing thing is, is her friends were with her in the bathroom. And they said before she passed, she was talking to Jesus. That she was talking to Jesus. That was the testimony of her, of her classmates. That she was talking to Jesus. That's very comforting when, you know, it all plays out in the next hour. And it's a very sad situation. And you got to go to the classroom and tell the kids that their classmates not coming back, which I had to do that day as my responsibility as a pastor. I'll never forget that experience with Brian Nixon. We did that together. You walk in the room and there's the desk. It all happened in one day. It was crazy. But what's so comforting is that she was talking to Jesus. She was talking to the risen Savior who we worship and praise in this place tonight. Let human philosophies and world religions pursue fallen men if they choose to, but let the church always praise and proclaim their faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. I received a call this last week from students at Calvary, and they were required to provide evidence apart from the Bible for the historical person of Jesus Christ. And I said, oh, well, of course, I went to Josephus right away, considered one of the greatest historians, and he references John the Baptist and Jesus as well. But I said, and I mentioned archaeology, that Pilate is provable as a historical person. Even recently, it was in the news two weeks ago, they found more evidence 
referencing Pilate as the governor of Judea at the time that the New Testament says he is. But I said, you know, I've got something better for you. Me. I'm evidence of a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. You talk to anyone that grew up in Carlsbad between 1973 and 1978, they'll tell you Joy Brand, that pastors worship generation in Huntington Beach in 2019, is not the same Joy Brand that they went to high school with who was kicked out of that high school in Carlsbad in the 70s. See, the risen Savior has the power to transform the lives of those who put their faith and trust in him. And that is the great evidence of Jesus Christ. So he ascended into heaven and he went, he transcended dimensions. He, just like when Elijah and Moses were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and then they're gone, they just came in and out of the dimensions because you can do that with those eternal bodies and those glorified bodies. As Elijah and his chair, excuse me, as the, the, as the chariot came from heaven for Elijah, same thing, comes out of the dimension of eternity, the chariot of fire, and takes Elijah in eternity, the dimension opens up and then the dimension closes. That's, that's what happens. Something of that nature is exactly what happens. So we are here tonight and we conclude this journey through Luke's gospel, not studying just a, a great person or a great teacher or the most amazing teachings that you could ever study of any human being. I mean, you could compare the teachings of Jesus to Karl Marx, Freud, Stalin, the Camus Rouge, the Third Reich. I mean, you can, you can compare the teachings. Of, that's just the recent last 150 years of men who've brought death and decay and destruction on this planet, Charles Darwin. And you can just compare his teachings and go, what an amazing, the teachings of Jesus where those guys were all about ruling, conquering, uh, executing, persecuting at all costs. In implementing a worldview, a godless worldview on the entire planet, which we still fight to this day, by the way, as opposed to the church of Jesus Christ based upon the words of Jesus Christ. So just the words of Jesus Christ are very noble that we have studied, what we've looked at. You know, forgiving your, you know, forgiving your enemies and turning the other cheek. These are all things that are so profound and contrasting to most philosophies that people study. In America, it's think and grow rich, looking out for number one, these types of things. But Jesus said, if you come after me, you lose your life, you'll find it. And what will it profit a man or woman if they gain the whole world and lose their life and their soul? So the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, his teachings alone would just go like, wow, these are amazing. But then that he laid down his life for his friends. Because we're told in the Bible that Jesus said, there's no greater love than laying down your life for your friends. And Jesus laid down his life for his friends. But we're told later on in the New Testament that Christ died we were yet enemies of God. So he died for his enemies. When we were rebels and unreconciled to God and rebellion to God, Christ died for us. And we saw on the cross just two weeks ago, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he might as well said the same thing about us before we came to Christ. The love, the, the compassion, the ability to forgive, and the authority to forgive, of course, which is here to say, pick up your bed and walk, or I forgive you and go your way and sin no more. So the authority to forgive and the demonstration to back up that forgiving by raising the lame man we saw earlier on in this gospel as well. We're told in Romans that scarcely would a, a, a evil person would never die for anyone and scarcely would a good person consider dying for another good person. But Christ died for us when we were full-on rebels at war against God. So again, that's so commendable. But his teachings and his sacrificial life, as commendable as those things are, and of course that sacrificial life in his case is sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins, it is his resurrection that seals the fruit 
of who he is as Lord of all. Because he said he would rise on the third day. And it is the sealing statement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because, by the way, it's one event in the Bible that is attributed to the triune nature of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all take credit for raising Jesus from the grave. And it is that risen Savior that we worship tonight. So we're not here as a club or as a community. We're not here as a sports entity or a business enterprise. We are here as a living organism born again of the Holy Spirit, representing this risen Savior to our people on our planet at this time in our generation. That's why we sing these songs. People come in here who don't know the Lord, they see these songs, they're like, I don't sing those songs. But they can sing those songs when they come to a saving faith in Christ and they understand what these songs are all about. The risen Savior ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I might quote Hebrews 8 where it says, what's your main point, Joey? My main point is this, that as it says in Hebrews 8, that we ever have a high priest who lives and intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. And he promised to come in glory. So he intercedes for us. He's availed to us in every time of need. And he has promised to come in glory. And he's coming for his church. And then he's going to come with his church. That's who we serve. It's so wonderful to be the pastor of this church and get up and know that Jesus is the final authority. As we get into Colossians, we're going to know that he's the preeminent one. He's the risen Savior, and he's physically risen. He's not some false cultish belief that he was a spirit or this or that, anything else. Jesus physically rose from the grave in his glorified body. You cannot find the DNA of Jesus of Nazareth on this planet in the sense that it's in the dust. You can find the DNA of everyone else. To some degree, we all, from, as, from the dust we came, with dust we returned. That's what God said. And David said, at the end of his life, I go the way of all men. And he did and we do. We go back to decay, for from the dust we came, the dust will return. But Jesus, who we're singing these songs to, WG, he's risen. And he inhabits the praises of his people. We could be singing songs with the Communist Party in China or Russia to Mao Zedong or Trotsky or Lenin, or Stalin, and they can't hear us because they're dead. We could be really trippy and be singing songs to Caesars if we wanted to. But they're dead too. We serve Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, who is ever seated at the reign of the Father, and he's coming, and he's coming to split the Mount of Olives. He's coming to establish a reign of righteousness. He's coming to make straight every crooked path to reveal all things, the thoughts and the intents of every heart, not only in this room, but of the entire planet of every generation. It's who we serve. It's who we worship. So that's why his praise is ever on our lips, for he inhabits the praises of his people. And God is a blessing God. And he's blessed us through the Son, and he wants to bless us in the Son to accomplish the works of the Son while we're here on this planet by the decree of the Son. The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this risen Savior, he opened our understanding to the Scriptures. He had to fulfill all things, and it was necessary. We've seen that the last couple of weeks as we studied the death and burial of Jesus Christ. But he, this message of verse 47 is a message of hope. 
that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. Now, it should be preached. It's not always preached. There are a lot of churches on the planet, including this country, that do not preach the message of repentance for remission of sins. And if we don't realize that we have a sin problem, then the value of the Savior is diminished. If you have cancer and if, let's, if someone proposes to you to take radiation treatment, it has no value to you unless you find out you have cancer and then suddenly you'd rethink radiation treatment or chemotherapy. It's a poor analogy, but it is one that we can somewhat wrap our minds around. We all have a disease that will kill us and it's sin. It's rebellion against God. David said it best in Psalm 51. I was born in sin and rebellion. I've lived my life. And against you only, O Lord, and you only have I sinned. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me was his prayer that came from that psalm in acknowledging his sinful nature. And even as David described in 139, how we're wonderfully made there in Psalms, how we're fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb, still, even in that, that defective DNA is in us. That sin is there in every cell of our body. So the miraculous of God's design and order of his universe still working to his glory is happening, but the sin element is still there, and we're born in that rebellion. And the, the first words, the first actions, as we, my wife has spent the last two years studying pre-K behavior and being licensed to be able to work with pre-K kids, and it's fascinating to understand the worldly view of how you lead younger kids in in public and private education sector and what they can understand, what they can comprehend, what they can't comprehend. But one thing is sure, they are rebels. We are rebels. They're little rebels, and without the corrective elements of the Holy Spirit working in their life, they'll be big rebels. The church is entrusted. Our existence here tonight. We're going to have a wonderful time with food and fellowship. We're going to have great fellowship. We're going to have all this fun stuff. We enjoy one another. We have these supper groups. The women can get together. The men can get together. We have all these things that are rich that we enjoy, rich in life and relationships of eternity. But what really makes us distinct as the church in God's eyes, because of the blood shed by Christ, is our proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the preaching of repentance and remission or forgiveness of sins. That's the great stewardship of the church. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he have, we have this record in Luke's gospel, but in Matthew's gospel, he said to go to all nations, make disciples of all nations, that all authority was given to him. In Mark's gospel, he said, preach the gospel to every creature. So the idea that we just, we need to go out there. And our message has value to those who under the moving of the Holy Spirit, agree with their need for Christ and are seeking to repent and find forgiveness. But our message finds hostility to those who are at war with God and are not seeking repentance, much like the religious leaders had, were at war with Christ throughout the entire journey through the Gospel of Luke that we've seen. The cross is to us the power of God and the salvation. For some, it is foolishness, and to others, it is an offense. And Paul said he would not cease to preach the cross lest the offense cease. So we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and we're going to heaven and we have this good news and we don't have to be a slave to sin. We don't have to be a slave to the devil and we definitely don't have to be a slave to the fear of the grave. That's all really good news. That's why it's called good news. 
The gospel is good news. Jesus said, I spoke these things, I speak these things that you might have joy and your joy would be full. It's good news. And David said, happy is the man or the woman who trusts in the Lord. It is good news. It is good to be set free from sins. Because when Jesus said it, the sons fetch you free, you're free indeed. What better news is that in the human experience than that? You that have lived older, that are older and lived long enough, you've watched people wreck lives. You look in the mirror and you know what you've wrecked in your own life. The wages of sin is death. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. As a man sows, shall he reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap life. We must have repentance. Without repentance, we cannot see the Lord. In the book of Acts, early on, there in the first message, Peter preached repentance and remission of sins, and thousands believed. There in chapter 3, when they healed the lame man, they preached repentance so that what? That times of refreshing could come. There's something wonderful about someone who truly understands the grace of God that has healed them and forgiven them and cleansed them of their sins and they've been set free. Sin not only has a gripping power that controls us, it has a condemning power that will oppress us and destroy us. But if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.